0: We're doing things slightly differently if you're used to being at Word of Grace. And if you're new here, hey, it's all new. So uh, w- welcome to the Word of Grace family, and we're excited to worship with you this morning. Um, the, the things that's going to be slightly different this morning is we're going to be having communion together as a church family. So right now you can hear Club Grace kids downstairs still going at it. Um, they will be finishing a little bit early today, so that we can go get our kids, okay? So those of you who are parents in the room, you can go get your kids uh, when we break, and then come back up here, and we'll have communion together as a church family, and then we will have some baptisms. So we have uh, two people who have decided to get baptized, to commit their lives to Jesus, and it's precious because... Both of them are right now downstairs. And um, so that is also partly the reason why we're also doing this, so that we can all be together. Okay? Um, So if I've not mentioned it before, my name is Judah. I'm one of the pastors here at Word of Grace. And I get to teach you this morning. So we've been working with a series called Cornerstone. So I don't know if you noticed while you were singing some of those songs this morning you were asked to consider some of these things, but why Jesus is the one we build our lives upon. I hope you, you listened to those words, and as you were singing them, you were, you were bringing your song to the Lord um, with your own words, and saying, Lord, here's my life. Okay? So, for Jesus to be the cornerstone, just quick recap, it has to be the thing that we build everything on. That's what a cornerstone is. In building terms... It is the first block you lay that gives you the dimensions for which way you're going. This way, this way, and up. So it gives you a plumb line. It gives you something to work against so that your structure is not all wonky. And so when Paul is talking in 1 Corinthians that you cannot lay any other foundation apart from the one that is Jesus Christ, he's saying Jesus is that stone. Okay, this is going back to some Old Testament prophecy where God says He was going to lay a stone which was going to be the cornerstone, a precious stone. And this is what He was going to build the family of God on. So for you and I to sit here this morning without coming to a church service, we're coming to the stone that the builders rejected. We're coming to the one who is the cornerstone of our lives. We're coming to the one who says, I have called you out. From all the masses of the people, I've called you out to be mine. So when we say we are building our lives on Jesus, we're doing more than just attending church. Okay, so if you've not considered this before, this is what we're going to really unpack this series, is really saying, what have we signed up for? Because many of us have grown up in church. Some of us are new to church, and that's fine. But a lot of you in this room have grown up with some taste of church in your life. And very often, what we have experienced is the religion of our parents or our community and their practices. Why do we do that? I don't know. We do it. And that is not a good enough reason. While it helps create habits, habits are good things, but sometimes habits without the truth behind them are not helpful at all. You don't know why you do it. So, let's go back to something that we were considering last week. Humanity as a whole was bound to sin. The thing is, we do not necessarily agree with that statement off the bat because we think that we are inherently pretty decent. I'm not a bad person. I try to do good things. And as a result, we start with a faulty premise that innately we are good. We just kind of lose our way. And the Bible teaches us that humanity is bound to sin not because we couldn't have figured out the best way forward. It's because we cannot. And for that, I'm going to go to Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, it's not in. I'm not going to put this up, but I just want to talk you through this. Right at the start of creation, in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see God create the heavens and the earth, and then He committed. He made man, both male and female, and He committed to them the rule of this planet. And He says, here, I'm putting you in charge. Go rule it. I want you to multiply. I want you to increase and bring the goodness of my kingdom to this planet which was in disarray at the, at the start. And God started to recreate things, and He started to put things in place where He says, this is going to be the rule of God on earth. But we believed a lie, and it started with a suggestion. It started with a suggestion that maybe God was holding out. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that there was a serpent that came to the woman and says, did God really say... That you will die if you eat from this tree. There was a tree in the center of the garden. Which was meant to be the knowledge of good and of evil. Maybe God's holding out on you. But I want you to understand the premise is you were built for relationship with God. You were designed for fellowship with God. These were two words we covered last week. To have relationship with God, meaning you are joined to God completely. There was nothing separating you from God. And along with that relationship came a fellowship. There was a sharing of things. There was a a communion over things. That wasn't just like my boss called me into his office and he told me a couple of things. God's heart was to disclose his heart completely to his children. But we decided to listen to a voice that was not the one that we were joined to. And this is what we need to fundamentally understand. We made an agreement with a voice that was not his. That's where sin started to take hold. Where we took a suggestion that said, did God say? And since then, everything that we saw that seemed good to us, Does this remind you of some of the things that we're working through as humanity right now? The things that we have seen with our eyes, we try and determine, I think that's pretty good, or I don't think that's great. So we call evil good, and we call good evil. This is the state of humanity that has been trapped in this cycle of taking into union, into fellowship, into relationship, something that wasn't the one that we were designed for. We were designed for communion with God. So that's the contrast I'm going to constantly be drawing. Right through this series, you'll constantly see me dip from this side to this side. You'll see me go, we were designed for relationship and fellowship with God, but we decided to have relationship and fellowship with another voice. And that takes many forms, not just a serpent. My job, my 401k, my family. These are all things that become big driving factors of what I call life. When he says, I'm the one who called you out of darkness. I'm the one who's called you to myself. I will show you how to navigate all of these things. But we start here, and we hope God has something to add. And we cherry pick the things that we want from God. We want blessings. We want the good stuff. But the moment God says, Do not touch that tree. Um, But why? And Romans chapter 1 tells us that we did not have the fear of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, and this is where I'm going to start. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That first statement itself tells you that there was a condition we were living in. That we were trapped in. Can a dead person do anything? How many dead people have you seen do stuff? Okay. Mm. okay. But when you are dead, you are incapable of doing anything for yourself. So sin and its condition had trapped you into a submission. I cannot but do these things, I'm trapped by the system that I'm around. It says there in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Your spirit was separated from God. Last week we covered this. What sin really means in actual terms, it's not just bad stuff because it could seem like good things. But anything that separates me from the one I was designed for union with is sin. Anything that takes on a suggestion that says, maybe I should consider this. Maybe I should go this way. Maybe it might be good. Then we become wise in our own eyes. And that's what the state of humanity is. And when God's saying, I've called you to relationship with me. But right now we are stuck dead in our trespasses and sins. We're stuck in the system and we're like, we can't reach back for that eternal tree of life. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, following the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do you hear that? This is what we were stuck in. Just like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy. And I want you to hear this and hear this good. Being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. Remember what John 3.16 says. This is where that love is. Because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Even then. When we were dead right there. Without without a pathway to get back to God. Because dead people cannot do anything for themselves. Correct? So from that condition, because of His great love, He reaches across that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now do you see how John 3.16 makes sense in this context? Because if you could have done something for yourself, I can find my way back to God eventually if I do enough good things. But it was something that we were trapped in. You and I could not have done this. It took God so loving the world that He gave. This is why John 3.16 is the center point of your salvation. Not because it's a cool verse that suddenly evangelicals decided to run with. Do Do you understand? It's not just because this is what is popular. This is a center point to why Jesus came. And guess what he did? While we were dead... He caused our spirit to be made alive again. He put a beating heart within this dead soul of a person who was disconnected from the presence of God. He says, I will put a new spirit within you. And he made us alive together with Christ. And it says this, for by grace you have been saved. It's a gift. Grace is a gift. It's something that you cannot... Merit. By the amount of good works you do, the amount of donations you do for a local uh, club, or how much of clothing you give out, how much of food you make for the poor. All of those things are great things. That will not be a substitute or make up for, fill up a piggy bank for, saying, I will be able to pay God and say, can I come back? By grace, you have been saved. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I will unpack that part a little bit later. Because I need you to understand that first, you have been made alive. You're not your old self. You're not just somebody trying to make your way back to God. Which is why what we're about to do today is not just symbolic in one sense, it is a clear declaration of what Jesus has already done. Jesus has set me free from this dead in my trespasses and sins nature of living. Do you see that? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Every single time you crossed the line, there was no way you had access to God. And in that condition, God says, I'm coming for you. Not because you were asking. Romans chapter 3, when it's talking about Psalm 14, it says, everyone has gone astray. Each one has gone their own way. No one is seeking God. Not even one. Not a single one. Just before we think, oh no, there are some people who really seek God. No. No. You know when you're on forms seeking spiritually open, those people who are allegedly spiritually open are not. God has made himself evident to all of us, but we refuse to give him glory for who he is. We would much rather puff up ourselves that we did this. One of the most amazing things about the American dream and the most diabolical things about the American dream is that you can make yourself. Because it looks like something that you can get behind. You did this. You work hard, you get it. Not so with salvation. Which is why in our country, of more so than any other place, we are we have blinders on to see that we need help. It must come from outside of myself. I cannot do this on my own. Slowly, the lights are coming on. But what are we coming on to? Humanity. We somehow need community. Everybody who desires community without the accountability of community. Because that's what we've traded the American dream for now. Suddenly, it's like some group project. But the moment challenges come up, I'm going to go my own way. What you are joined to is a God who says, come, I've designed you to know me. But aside from me, you can do nothing. John chapter 15 tells us that. He is the vine. You are the branch. Don't get it messed up. You cannot do anything aside from God. Ephesians chapter 2 continues, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Just in case we get twisted with the fact that I approached God and I asked, you were dead. That was your starting point. So there was no, I was seeking. Do you understand? We, We often get that twisted. And as he grants you a saving faith, he then says, now choose. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ for good work, which is God work. And He prepared this beforehand, long before we were even created. He prepared these things so that you and I can walk in them. But we have to understand fundamentally that we were dead. Because talking about new life and everything, it all sounds great. If you think we're talking about a carryover of that life. Do you hear me? We think we're just modifying a little bit and we're becoming more holy. No, 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 no. This this guy has nothing good to offer. Which is why in John chapter 3, we covered this last week, you must be born again. It's not like, it's again, in our culture we have, we sometimes use that born again phrase like as if it's some denominational phrase. It's a biblical phrase because it means you have to be transferred out of this deadness. You have to be born again. So when you are born again by God's Spirit, Him working on you by grace, He grants you the gift of faith that suddenly springs up into new life. And what is this faith based on? A word. Which then was followed up by action. But I want you to understand, we're, we're talking about 2,000 plus years after the work of Jesus Christ. What do you have to go on? Did you see Jesus crucified? Did you see Jesus raised from the dead? It's a word. So if I fundamentally do not think that God's word is to be trusted... I will play fast and loose with all of the other stuff. So when God says, I have sent my son to you. To die on your behalf. You are trustworthy. If you said it, you will do it. And he didn't even just say it and then just leave it into the thin air. He came. Philippians 2 tells us, he laid aside All that he had, he emptied himself and he did what we could not do. He suffered on your behalf, on my behalf, which is why the precious blood of Jesus goes beyond what we could not do. Because there was no amount of sacrifices or laying things down that we could do that would somehow appease God. Because Romans chapter 6 tells us, the wages of sin is? Because there was no way I could contradict what God had said and then for God to say, oh, yeah, I'll give you a mulligan. Can I just do it? No. It's because that would mean he was not just. He was not righteous in what he declares. And God is always righteous. But how? now? Now, now we're caught in a catch-22. Because now the ones that he loves and the ones that he cares for, the ones that he called to rule and reign with him, the ones that he wanted to have a relationship and fellowship with, sharing all things with them, are stuck. Because they have gone against the word that I have spoken to them. They've made an agreement with someone else. Now I cannot go cross that divide because I cannot be with sin. And Jesus says, Father, I will go for them. I will lay down my life for them. Being the only one without sin. Because sin cannot produce life. Which is why the law could never produce it. They followed all the laws and the rules and all of these things. But they would still need sacrifice to appease and to atone for what they had done. And Jesus comes along and says, Father, I will go. That sin's demand might be met fully. The penalty for it will be met fully. That record of... Now read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, In the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And here's this phrase again, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made us alive together with him. Having forgiven all of our trespasses. By canceling out the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There was a legal demand that said if you have transgressed God's law. There has to be payment for sin. And the payment is death. This, he set it aside. By set it aside, is not meaning like throwing it aside. He takes that record, and in, 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 Jewish, in Jewish culture, if there was ever loans or outstanding payments, you know how sometimes we have loans and stuff with the bank, and you have a credit note, What would be what would happen is it would be posted on your door. This is where so they they know that this guy owes. And when that was paid in full, it would be folded over and nailed through. It's done. And this is what Jesus did. He took the whole record of debt that you had in your, and he turned it over and he says, it's nailed through. Which is why it's nailed to a cross. It wasn't just a happenstance that it was nailed to a cross. It was very specific. There was a demand that was on your life and all the things you did and all the things I did. And he says, I folded it over. Now it has been set aside. It has been done. Paid in full. Nailed. It's crossed over. And when he did it, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. What I want you to understand is you are bound by powers that were bigger than you. So if you are sitting in this room and you have not called Jesus your Lord, I invite you to because there is a transfer that is about to take place. It's not fancy. It is not by my will. It is not because of my preaching. It is not because of a certain kind of prayer. It is simply you saying, I believe the word that he said. I believe that God is true and every man is a liar. That my past cannot define me. Who I was born as does not define me. I believe that Jesus died for sinners like me. And when I do that, it's that simple. Wait, Judah, there has to be more. There must be more steps. No. Because if there were more steps, it would not be by God's grace alone. You would have had something to do with earning it. Now we will talk about, I just before you start getting all twisted with this, you will start to see that God requires a, an obedience out of each of us, that you have the biggest role to play. And that role is one of humility and obedience. And that's called the Christian life. But before we get to how the Christian life works, you've got to remember, you did nothing to earn it. So when you're over here and living with God and learning to walk the Christian life, you're not suddenly going to start earning it. You're a goody-goody. You're the kid who showed up for class. You're the kid who did all the steps. still won't work for you because you were saved by grace through faith. You were dead. So if he did it, And started you off on this journey? Galatians 3 tells us this. If you started off your journey because of the Spirit of God, do you think you're now going to suddenly start working it out because you're good? How can that be? And Paul literally spares no language. He says, you foolish Galatians. How foolish of you to think that if you start with the Spirit of God, you can somehow start perfecting yourself once you get to the other side. What? It has to rest on Jesus alone. I'm telling you, when we realize how big our salvation is, we will not trivialize it into joining some religious club called Christianity. Jesus came to reconcile man who had no way back to God. Romans 5 verse 8 tells us this. Rosie touched on this a little bit. But God shows his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. not after we started to get better. How many of you, and I will own up to this myself. When there is something that is wrong inside of my heart and the things that I'm doing, there is a tendency to want to try and fix it first before I go and talk to someone who can help Just in case I can lower the severity tension of what I'm feeling. Just get just fix it just a little bit so that you can go and ask then. Isn't that silly? And we do that with our mental health issues, we do it with our emotional health, we do it with all we we feel like if I just cover it up just for a little while longer. And I'll get a hold of it. I'll I'll just get my hands around this. And then I can go and talk to people. And then I'll go talk to the pastor. Then I'll go talk to my wife. Then I'll go talk to my therapist. I will do this just... Let me just get my hands around this first. Guess what? It's already out of your control. It's like a wildfire going through you. This is why He sent us the Holy Spirit. When you are transferred, so for those who have be, now belonged to Jesus, He says, Now I've put a new spirit within you. Now my Holy Spirit is given to those who ask. And I will give to you a counselor, a helper, the one who teaches you how to pray, the one who will help you in your weakness. Every single time you're like, I don't know how to ask, I don't know. He knows, how that, he knows exactly what you feel. And he goes in and he says, I will teach you how to pray. I will show you and I will pray on your behalf. With you, come, let's go. This is what the Holy Spirit does. There's so much to unpack and I will do that in the weeks to come. But for now, I need you to understand you've been transferred. I am not doing this on my merit. Merit has little to do with it. In fact, nothing to do with it. Jesus came to seek and save lost people. Not people who thought they were on their way to being found. Which is what we often, I was getting there. You kind of just helped me like figure it out at the end. We always want some credit. That's just who we are. Just a little credit. You know, I was trying to be a good guy and I was, you know, best foot forward and No, you didn't have the best foot forward even if you tried. And I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you. Salvation is only by faith. And a faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, when it says faith, is the substance. It is the the meat on the bone, to put it in more understandable language. It's, it's the actual stuff. It's not just like, let me tell you about what a good, te- a good steak tastes like. No, I'll let, me show, let me give you the actual meat. Here, you taste it. Faith is the substance. It's, it's not just something figurative. It's not just something metaphorical. It's the substance of things hoped for. If there is something that you have not seen, how can something that you don't see yet give you such clarity? Not a clarity that's just like an inner mushy feeling. It gives you an evidence that something is to come. Hebrews 11, if you read that whole chapter, it talks about things that people did not see. It talks about things that they hoped for, but what did they taste? What was the meat that they had a hold of? They saw God do something, that they said, I can trust God. So I will trust Him with the things I don't see. Are you hearing me? How do you know to put faith in something? Because you've seen evidence of something that proved it before. Case in point, let me do it here. So that you understand what I'm talking about. What are you about to do? I'm not Don't worry. Now, if I take this chair... And I'm just going to stand here and drop back. Why did I do that? Why did I just go? Because you knew there was a chair behind you. I knew there was a chair that, behind me. But more importantly... I have sat on these chairs before. It wasn't like one of those kiddie play stools. Right? If I had done that with just throwing my weight back, would it have stood Stood up? A kiddie chair. One of those little little tykes ones. No. But I've done it with these. I know that I can stand on this thing, jump on it, and it won't give way. Right? Why? Because I have... Did I do that? Have I ever jumped on these chairs before? I have not. That was the first time. But there was something about the evidence I have of that. Are you hearing me? There was something about the evidence I have of what these chairs are like. I've moved these chairs around. I've seen how it's been built generally. And I know what it can take. Faith is the substance of something hoped for. So my hope is that when I plunk myself down, it will hold. It's not something I did before, but when I do, I know it will. So faith is that evidence. So you're not just saying, oh, I have faith in Jesus. He has shown you something of himself. So it's not make-believe with me, you know, flap your ears and Daniel Tiger it. It is you actually saying, I have seen something that God has done. And I know, I know. Which is how the heroes of faith earned their commendation from God. They, they looked ahead at something that was so improbable. Something that should not happen. And he, they said, God is trustworthy. We will walk that way. Where are you going, Abraham? What are you doing, Rahab? What are you doing? All of these people. What? 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 Stop. No, God said something. Faith lays hold of those things. But just before you think, oh man, I'm a really good believer, am I not? I really got that thing. No, it is a gift of God. It is the grace of God that works within you that says, Come, I will draw you closer to myself. Yes, you have a role to play. Absolutely. Believing God is your responsibility. But he says, guess what? I will show you. I will open your eyes to see. And my response is, yes. I'm sorry I made agreements with voices that were not yours. And my sorriness, my sorrow for that leads me to repentance. Which is a turning away from something. that says, I embrace what you have. So what shall we say then? Romans chapter 9. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is people who were not joined to God. People who were not Jews. Normal people like you and me. They decided to believe what God said. And they did not even pursue righteousness. It's right there, black and white. But they've attained it. That is a righteousness by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. What? Like, we gave them all the rules. They knew what to do. They still could not get there. Why? That's the question, right? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as it were, they based it on works. They have submitted over, I mean, they've stumbled over that rock, which is the cornerstone. And God, when he said, I'm going to put a cornerstone there, he says, the same rock which is going to be the rock that I build everything on, is also going to be a rock that causes people to stumble. They will look at him and be like, (laughs) believe God, whatever. And that will become an offense to them. You mean I cannot be good by myself? How dare you think that you're going to somehow help me? I don't need anybody's help. I'm a self-made man. Oh, Okay. And then Jesus becomes a rock of offense. A stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling. A rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Will not have hoped in vain. I want you to see what you are committing yourself to is more than just a religion. This is life and death. What our families are involved with. There are struggles we are all walking through. And the moment we think it is just about me and my life, you forget that you have been called to eternal things. We were designed for knowing God's heart. And the things that God is doing on the earth today. Not what I want to do on the earth today. We get it all twisted and think the story is somehow about me. We want our names to go down in history. When the church gathers, and this is just a sidebar, when the church gathers... This is what stands out about the church of Jesus Christ. We are such a group of people that have decided to lay aside our story and say, for the sake of His glory and for the sake of His name, we will make a loud noise about who He is. Let the nations hear it. Let everybody hear it in Indiana County. God is true. God is to be trusted. His Son Jesus Christ is the only way. It's not because I'm trying to convince you with my great speech. But it's a demonstration of a life lived in front of people. And when we gather together, we encourage one another. Yes, it is worth laying aside your popularity. It is worth laying aside your notoriety among people. So that God might be glorified. We encourage one another with these things. So what does it say in Romans chapter 10? the word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, right? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And this applies not just to your initial salvation work. This is the how God's Work operates in your life. God draws you to places of revelation of what he has done. And then he says, now confess. Agree with me on that. The problem is we want to hold out our agreement just a little bit. I'll see how it pans out. And God's looking for agreement. Because it's a transfer that's happened. He says, now you're a child of mine. As you confess, you will see the salvation of God working out. Because the believing in your heart happens on the inside. But the confession leads you to a place where your faith takes steps. Because God is not a liar. It's me doing this. It's me taking that leap, not as a blind leap, but a deliberate one as I confess what Jesus has done for me. I am putting my faith in what he has done. It's a daily activity. And more and more I find my heart being unlocked from dead ways of thinking to the place where I'm thinking in the life of God. So, this leads me to the last bit, which I wanted to cover today because we're about to do it. Baptism is more than just a symbol of something outward, of something which was inside, which is often the thing that we hear talked about when we have baptisms. It's an outward declaration of an inward conversion. Yes, it is that. But it's so much more. Because baptism does not save you. Neither does any other Christian sacrament or anything that we're commanded to do, it does not do anything to make you earn anything. The only thing, as we just read, that allows you to be called children of God is you to say, I do it by faith, not by a work. I can take communion and now... No, I can get baptized and... No, none, none of these things will help you. If you haven't previously said, I've put my faith in Jesus alone. That is what saves you. Having put your faith in Jesus. Drop into the chair. Right? Having done that act of saying, I'm not going to trust myself. I'm not going to trust my eyes. I'm going to put my faith in the word that has stood the test of time. And he says... Be baptized. And when he says that, you are doing something which is a display of not only being buried with him and being raised with him, which is symbolic, but the context of his life being given to you because Jesus did not stay dead. He died on your behalf, but guess what? He was raised up. Romans chapter 6. Let's go there. So what should we do? Now that you've committed your life to Jesus, should we continue in sin because it is by God's grace that I've been saved? Huh? Because we know that we are saved by God's grace. I know that I cannot earn it by something I'm doing. So, hey, I got a hall pass. I can pretty much do whatever I want. Romans 6 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may continue increasing? Because I got grace, right? Ah, By no means. How can we who died to sin continue to live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The same way Jesus died, you and I have put off that person. That person is dead. Gonzo. No more. We're not even going to name him as the person who is living today. He doesn't get a say in the matter. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead. By the glory of the father. We too might walk in a newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Do you see this transfer from being bound by something that was not in your power to fight against? He says, I'm going to take you out of that and I'm going to join you to myself. You now have a new way of living. Not because you got savvy to it. It's because it's a work of my grace in you. And you will start to find as you grow in these things, and this is what we're going to cover in the next few weeks, as you grow to understand what does obedience mean? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower? What does it mean to put my trust every single day? These are all things that I need to learn. Just like a new baby does. Walking around, messing up my diaper. All that will happen. And that's okay. But God wants to raise up sons and daughters who carry his character, not just because they joined the Christian club. Because they've been transferred. And they see that every single day. I'm not that old person anymore. So what we're seeing here happen is two people who are saying today, I have decided to follow Jesus. And that was something they did in their heart a while ago. But they want to make a clear stand. And the way I explained it to Jack and Evelyn, who are the two people getting baptized today, I showed them my, my wedding ring. And I've done this illustration for people before. It's a simple way to understand this. Does my wedding ring make me married? I hope not. Because lots of people wear rings. Right? So my ring doesn't make me married. But does my ring tell people that I'm married? Firstly, it tells me I'm married. Then it tells other people, this guy's taken, he's married. It is a declaration to people, which is my church family, as I go into this water, hey, I have decided that I belong to Jesus. And this is the language I used for them so that they understand it simply. My life belongs to Jesus. I'm no longer identified as just a Thomas or as a Labrosi. Great family to belong to. Great family. But I'm now part of the family of God. I've changed allegiances. My allegiance now is to Jesus. I hope there is never a time where my allegiance to Jesus is contradictory to where the family, the name of Thomas goes. Hopefully they're one and the same. But if there was ever a choice that I had to make, it's time for me to lay aside the Thomas family. Do you see what I'm talking about? Because my allegiance has shifted, I have decided to be committed to someone else. From this day forward, I am making a declaration, and this is the part that we often miss. It's not a declaration just for people here. It's a declaration to all those powers and principalities and all the, peop- the powers of darkness that held you bound here. It's a declaration saying, I'm moving over. I don't belong to you anymore. I'm moving over. And for kids who are young, do they get everything? Absolutely. Do you get everything? No, you don't. So the issue is, does that change the reality of what has happened? No. So that is why it is a simple faith. It is not complicated. It is me saying, I've decided to put my faith in Jesus and I've been transferred. Can we do that together? So we're going to go get our kids and... So if you are um, having a kid downstairs, I would like you to go check them out. But we're also going to have this time of break that we're going to have just for a few minutes would also be our opportunity for giving. Uh, if you could put the giving slide up. Um, that way, if you, if, you were, if you had it in your heart and were to give, give to the Lord, there are boxes on the walls here, in the back, in the coffee room, online. You can do that. But if you have children... Please go get them first, okay? Because then we can get back here and we can have communion together and um, get on with baptisms.